All right, we don't have a lot of questions today, but I'll go ahead and get to them. The first question was simply a request for an in-depth look at Bible sanctuary layout from the design law view. And, uh, and uh, so thank you for that. I would encourage you to go to our website. And, and on our website, under the resources section, there is the Sanctuary and Feast Days Seminar tab. And we have a three-lecture set there uh, with, uh, I believe, you can also access the, the um, PowerPoints from that. And I would encourage you to watch those, download those, and go through those. I think that will answer a lot of the questions that you're interested in. And if after that you still have some more questions, let us know. Uh, the next is, why did Jesus start his ministry? Uh, why didn't Jesus start his ministry earlier and instead waited until around 30? Uh, my understanding is that uh, in the Jewish culture at the time, you weren't really considered um, um, vetted, authorized, educated, mature enough. Uh, permitted to actually become a rabbi or be a teacher until age 30, so he waited according to their cultural norms. Uh, could, um, could, let's see, uh, should we use this example for us today? Uh, you know, there, should we? I, I don't like that. Could we? Should we? Uh, I, I, you know, I think the Bible says that your, you know, your old men will, will dream dreams and your young men will have visions and so forth. And so I think if God has put on someone's heart to, uh, to have a message to take, then those people need to take that message regardless of whatever age they are. There is an aspect of neurobiology that our brains don't finish maturing completely until age 25. And so there is the aspect, that, and, the, and the last part of the brain is the prefrontal cortex. That's where we do um, the most uh, uh, critical reasoning of the most complex concepts. And so the more our prefrontal cortex develops and the more uh, self-governance we have, the more um, uh, uh, potential ability to uh, unravel complex things, to abstract thought, for instance. And an abstract thinking is the ability to, to um, understand the reality behind metaphors and parables and similes and symbols and so forth. And so there might be an element that it might be wise to let uh, people who have gained the ability to uh, uh, discern and, uh, and decode some of the symbolisms that we see in Scripture uh, to, uh, to lead rather than uh, taking everything so literally and concretely. I think there might be some wisdom in that. I don't know that that's ultimately age determinant. I think that uh, there are plenty of people over 25 that still struggle with that, but we do know neurobiologically it gives you an advantage to be able to do that at certain ages. You just simply don't have the hardware for it. Uh, and then it says, why did Jesus not stay on earth longer? I think that's a very interesting question. I like that question the best of the series here. Uh, why didn't he stay on earth longer? Well, who, who terminated his ministry? Did Jesus terminate his ministry? <laughs> or did the religious leaders of his day say, we can't take it anymore? It's only been three and a half years. And if you actually read the gospel accounts, Jesus actually kept himself away. He started ministering, and he was gathering so, so much uh, attention, and he was agitating the leadership so much by the truth he was revealing that he actually had to step back for a while, or else his ministry would have ended even earlier. And so uh, one of the things of this world, the, Jesus made it very clear, those in darkness do not like the light. They don't want to come in the light, lest their evils exposed, and they will do everything they can to seek to destroy the light. And as Jesus began shining more brightly, making the truth of God's kingdom ever more clear, the powers of evil railed against him ever more and brought a, an end to his ministry uh, very quickly. So I think that's why he didn't minister longer on earth, because, uh, because he was so effective at bringing the truth. Yeah. Yes? Doesn't Scripture tell us that he was teaching in the synagogue at the age of 12? I mean, he was teaching, well, it, it, teaching to lead the, the, so, the church leadership at 12. So I, the idea that he did... No, 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 I would not say that that's true. 
it, it's true. It's tr- it's true, and it's not true. It's true that his that what he was doing was enlightening them. It's not true. He was recognized as a teacher. Okay, he wasn't recognized, but he was teaching. Uh, no, if you read Zara Vages, he was questioning as a student. He presented himself in the position of a student. Because had he tried to teach at age 12, he would have been ridiculed as arrogant and narcissistic and he would not have been listened to. But coming in the humble form of an inquirer and someone who could learn from the wise men, his questions caused them to consider things they hadn't considered before and, and acted in a role of enlightenment. But he didn't come in the, in the form of a teacher at age 12, even though he knew more than them. So, yes, he did teach through his questions, but he didn't present himself as a teacher. He presented himself as a student to learn from the teachers. Okay, fair point. Thank you. So, so functionally, you're right, but I mean, he pres- positionally, he positioned himself as a humble student at age 12. And yet he phrased it, that I must be about my father's work. Well, yes, that's what he told his parents, yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So this uh, this person writes this this may prove there is such a thing as a stupid question. <laughs> no, it doesn't. I've read it. No, this is. I heard a song this past week that referred to Jesus being on his wooden tower. I like the mental image of Jesus doing something glorious for me as compared to uh, the demeaning act of being crucified. I am concerned that I may be blasphemous trying to glorify his sacrifice on the cross by referring to the cross as a tower. Uh, Dr. James, what are your thought, opinions on this? Well, I, I think that it really does depend. Uh, either way, if you, if you say as a tower, it, it, it depend, it, it's, it's a symbol. What do you mean by the symbol? Okay, If you mean that you recognize that Philippians say that his self-sacrifice was glorious and you recognize the glory of the self-sacrifice and it uplifted the character of God and made it more manifest, then that's actually a wonderful thing that it broadcast, it brilliantly displayed the self-sacrificial nature of God and the principles of liberty and that even though he had all power, he wouldn't use power to stop others from harming him, if that's what you mean. On the other hand, if using the symbolism of a tower would somehow say uh, and start introducing ideas in people's minds that he was self-promoting or self-advancing or using to lift himself up, then it would actually work to introduce false ideas. And so I don't think, I think the tower idea is completely inconsequential. It is all the meanings you attach to it, like with every other symbol of scripture. So it says, with your um, new job at the university, do you still do in-person lecture seminar? How do I get information on setting this up? Yes, I, I, I do. Uh, at, yes, I do. I don't travel on the same frequency as I used to. It's actually more difficult. But I have several events scheduled. I'll be doing a um, presentation in April at the Christian Medical Dental Association's East Remedy Conference, which actually is going to be held here at Lynchburg. Uh, I will be doing a, a, a couple of seminars in the fall at the American Association of Christian Counselors World Conference in, in um, Nashville. And uh, those, those are the, the two that are right off the top of my head. But I, I still do uh, lectures and and of course, I teach this class, um, and I'm, I'm in person there at, at our facility uh, every second Sabbath of, of the month. And so, yes, I still am doing those things. Information, setting this up, just if you're interested in trying to schedule me, then you just uh, send an email through our website, requests at commonreason.com, and, and have a conversation. I am more restricted in my travel because of my obligations here than I used to be, but um, certainly I'd look at any opportunity. 
It says, uh, I always enjoy the, thank you very much for the lesson, I always enjoy it. How would you expose Mormon philosophy? I tend not to try to expose other people's, I try to uplift the truth, but if you're dealing with a Mormon, um, my, my, the core problem with Mormonism, there's two core problems uh, that I see. One, uh, philosophically, um, this is, and this is a great conversation to have with people who question Ellen White and, and the Adventist Church and how we value Ellen White and the Mormons that value Joseph Smith. Uh, Joseph Smith's philosophy was that the Bible had errors and he was here by God to correct the errors of Scripture. Ellen White's philosophy was the Bible was the, was the um, infallible word of God and it was alone as our creed and she was here to turn people's attention to the Bible. And if there were any contradictions between her writings and the Bible, then her writing should be discarded and the Bible should be elevated. So philosophically, there's a big difference between the Ellen White's approach to how you approach scriptures, that everything is tested by the scriptures, and, and they're the infallible word of God, versus um, um, Mormonism, which had lots of errors that need to be corrected by this new revelation. Uh, and then that then leads, because of that, they value the, the Mormon, the Book of Mormon above the scripture. Uh, in the Book of Mormon, there is a passage that has become a key passage for how they discern truth. And you can never really have a, a functionally good outcome of Bible study with a Mormon until you address this question first. And that's in, I think it's in the Book of Moroni, chapter 10, verse 4. And I think it says something along the lines of, if you would know the truth of, of these things, or the truth of all things, if you would pray with real intent, with a sincere heart, and ask in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit will lead you to know the truth of all things. And, and what it means is, uh, to them, how it, how it operates functionally. Uh, if you want to know what's true in the Mormon circle, you don't uh, simply ask God what we do when we pray, and somebody's doing Bible study, we say, let's look at Scripture, and let's ask the Holy Spirit to enlighten our mind to discern the truth. And you might pray that the Holy Spirit will uh, help you comprehend and understand the truth, and the truth itself is what brings conviction. As the men on the road to Emmaus and Jesus uh, broke the Scriptures to them, it said their hearts burned within them as the Scriptures were comprehended. That's the traditional Christian way of, of the Holy Spirit leading us into truth. In Mormonism, though, when you have a conversation, and truth itself always does bring a sense of conviction, and I've done this with some Mormons, uh, and you show some truth they hadn't comprehended before, you will see the lights go on because it's exciting, and then they will say, I want to go home and pray about it. And then you will think they're going to go home and pray for wisdom like you would, but they don't. What they do is they go home and pray, and they pray for a conviction in their emotions to tell them whether what was revealed in Scripture is true or not. And, they, and so this is called the burning bosom. And so their, their pursuit of truth is not through a revelation of comprehension of testable truths revealed by God, but through an emotional experience that they believe is the Holy Spirit bringing conviction. And I've had this happen over and over again where you show them the weight of scriptural evidence on a topic, and they will have the, an epiphany, and you can see the lights go on, they get excited, and they're going to go home and pray about this. And then they'll come back a few days later and say, after praying about it, I'm convinced you're wrong. And you will say, well, show me from scripture what, new, what, what passages I've missed, what new insights I'm not understanding. And they'll say, I don't have any scripture, I just have a conviction from the Holy Spirit that you're wrong. And, and, and therefore, you really can never have a good outcome with them because their method of determining truth is a different methodology than the traditional Christian approach to truth, which is actually a pursuit of evidence and truth borne out by an integration of the three threads of evidence that scripture gives us, scripture itself, Science and experience, Romans chapter 1, verse 20, God's divine nature seen in what he has made, so the men are without excuse, and our life experiences. And we have to harmonize all those together to come to testable truths that are reliable. But their approach is to actually discount it all if you, as long as you can get a real warm uh, experience uh, from what they call as a conviction. 
And that actually opens one up to great deception because it tells us in James chapter 1 that we are uh, dragged away and enticed. And no one should say God tempts because God doesn't tempt anyone. Each one of us are tempted or dragged away and enticed by our own evil desires or feelings. And it's through our feelings and strong emotions that the devil can, can, can trap us. And so if you're dealing with Mormons, the first question always is, let's talk, before we talk about any, any truth, how do you determine what's true? What's your method? Well, we pray. Okay, and what do you pray for? Do you pray for evidence? Or do you pray for conviction? And if they pray for conviction, then you have to have a conversation about that and say, well, my method is I pray for the weight of evidence and the Holy Spirit to convince me to understand and comprehend the evidence and the truth itself convicts us and the Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Or do you have a conviction irrespective of the weight of evidence? And that's the big difference. All right, guys, that was our last question. Hope you all have a good week and I'll see you all again next week. Bye-bye.